All right, Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, what a weekend, Bud. Just an absolute uh, great time to be a Florida State fan for a program that's had, uh, you know, four or five years of not a whole lot of fun and uh, moments of, of just legitimate reward for your emotional investment, for lack of better words or lack of better phrasing, uh, certainly felt like. Saturday uh, afternoon, Saturday night were, you know, kind of one big payment for uh, a fan base that is you know, one of the more larger and passionate fan bases in college football. So uh, look forward to tonight's show. As always, want to thank our friends at Tarpon Cellars Wine. Uh, we don't, we, we obviously love doing the podcast and media production that we do. We have never taken live donations uh, during a show, and I don't know that that will be a route that we go down uh Maybe we'll, maybe we won't. But if you want to support the Nolcast, go to tarpincellars.com, grab a bottle of red, grab a bottle of white that you can drink for yourself, give to your sister, girlfriend, wife, whoever it may be in your life. Uh, they're great supporters of the Nolcast. And in my exuberance on Saturday, I somehow missed out on uh, listing them. So great people, great supporters of the Nolcast. And uh, if you could find yourself <clears throat> over on that website, that would mean an awful lot to Bud and I. Dude, absolutely. And uh, speaking of that instant reaction, holy cow, that was that was great. I, I got pulled away to go to this charity auction thing right after the game, and you just you hit that out of the park. That was incredible. It was fun, man. It was a uh, so much fun. Yeah, it was a long, long time coming, and I really, uh, hand to God, I really wasn't that inebriated. I was on a scale of one to ten, excited, probably about a thirteen, uh, and it was. It was just a, a great time. So uh, glad that that's done as well as it has and glad that so many people have been able to enjoy it and, uh, you know, find a similar kind of cathartic release in it. Uh, but great, uh, you know, just a great Saturday night. And this is going to be a whole lot of fun looking back on it. Dude, that, I, I, I watch the thing twice, put it, put it on the big screen TV in the morning. That was, that was fantastic. I also, uh, we don't do a lot of watch along content for obvious like rights reasons, but have you seen this? Scoop. Former University of Miami players will be holding a roundtable on Thursday to talk about the current state of the Hurricane football program. The three-and-a-half-hour event is private, but a video of the discussion is scheduled to be released next week. I can't. I couldn't. When I saw that this morning or this afternoon, I, I, I couldn't believe it. But if any program would engage in such a thing, it would probably be that of uh, the one down at Coral Gables. So, for uh, you, you can get the entire four tape VHS set for only shipping and handling. <laughs> yes. And uh, we know those VHS uh, machines get a workout and glad that they were consistent in their media availability as to what they, uh, what form they made that in. So, Oh, uh, off the top, by the way, speaking of longtime supporters, uh, we do want to wish a happy 25th wedding anniversary to uh, Doug and Michelle Ambrose, who are some of our OG listeners from way back in the day uh, in Richmond, and they drove down for the game and uh, absolutely loved it. And uh, Michelle, congrats. I heard Doug did email me and said, hey, can you give us a shout out? And absolutely, just some original supporters of the show. We very much appreciate that. Yeah, Michelle's a big, big fan of the Nolcast, and uh, congratulations to Doug and Michelle. They met at Florida State 25 years later. Uh, you know, go have a cocktail at the, at the Jefferson and send me the bill. Uh, really appreciate y'all's support. And uh, congratulations. Man, where, where do we start on this thing? This was just, you won the game in the first quarter, basically. And then 
you kind of get outplayed for about the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And then you really come up super clutch. That was just in, incredible. I, there was a lot of things in this. There were a lot of things in this game. I thought that FSU had worked on, had repped throughout the year that they were able to execute. I was, I was very impressed by their, their opening game plan. And then also by some of their counters, you know, and I, I want to start here first with Adam Fuller's defense, right? This defense that I've been disappointed in this year, uh, because I do believe that it has more talent than it has played to over the course of the season. You know, I put that Jacksonville State loss mostly on them. Letting, what, 31 or 35 or whatever it was to Louisville in the first half, come out and get blitzed by Wake in the first half. And, you know, quite honestly, allowing a whole lot of points to Notre Dame wasn't really in love with what this defense was doing this year. But they have improved in the last month. And in this game, and they came out and they really did. Now, they didn't execute it perfectly. But they had a coherent plan. They said, hey, we are, we are not going to allow the big play over the top. And for most of this game, they didn't. They allowed some explosive plays, probably more than Adam Fuller, you know, wanted to allow. But that was one of our real keys in the game is make Miami drive, make Miami execute and be physical in the red zone, make Miami convert short third downs. And, Ultimately, that is where FSU did have an advantage in some spots. So they allowed passes of, what, 45, 18, 33, 29, 19, 15, 35, and 20. And that's too many, right? I mean, not going to lie, that's not a good effort. But for this defense, showing improvement compared to what Miami had been doing through the air, like that's what Miami lives on, is the bomb. And you deny the bomb, for the most part, you allow the one, you know, Big hitter on on the uh, the trick play to the tight end down the sideline. You allowed a thirty five yarder, which was a missed tackle. It wasn't a bomb. You know, it's a, it's a pass on what second and seventeen or eighteen to a running back, uh, and and that's a, a pretty special you know kid in space. It sucks Brownlee missed the tackle, but you know overall, you did not allow Miami to have that many explosive scores. You got them down into the red zone. Now look, I'll do credit to Miami. They actually converted in the red zone. So, like, give it to them. Now, one was lucky BS. But it was the kind of lucky BS you wanted them to force to have to happen, right? Like the that tip ball nonsense on... It was fourth down, wasn't it? Third down. I thought, like, you give them a lot of credit for, for going out, executing that game plan. They didn't allow their, their backers to get isolated too many times. That was clearly a weakness for this team. They were able to scheme around that some... And they were physical. They took on blocks. They tackled, I thought, pretty damn well. You knew playing that type of scheme, Miami was going to try to throw a lot of screens. And they actually, they took on those screen blocks pretty well. For all the crap people want to get Brownlee, look at Brownlee blowing up those screens early in that game and setting the tone. You know, and Kevin Knowles, you know, tackling people. Obviously, Omarion Cooper, 239, baby. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, Sometimes you just see guys early. It's not like, you know, I wasn't first on, but I, I got to see him as a sophomore in high school. So I was like, yeah, there may be something here on this kid. But that was just luck. I was actually at a Fort Myers high school game and, uh, and he was out there for, for uh, Lehigh. And I asked James, it's like, oh, yeah, I, that kid may be, may be pretty good. You know, James, their, their coach there who played for Odell. Or excuse me, played with Odell. 
I want to point out that they were really successful in limiting the explosive explosive play and also were really successful about not giving up chunk plays on first down. I mean, you you made them earn it. They never were able to really get that offense, uh, like I said, in the instant. It's not as simple as stopping them on first down, stopping that offense, but you sure don't want to see what happens when they do have success on first down. And, um, you know, exceptionally limiting in the first half with what they did. Uh, as just an editorial note, uh, Bud is – sick and recovering. I feel like I'm getting the flu. Uh, this is a, you know, probably not going to be the sweetest sounding podcast that we've done. Uh, but we will, uh, we'll move forward with it. So, uh, yeah, no impressive. You limited your liabilities, uh, as far as some of the matchups that we were concerned about with them, isolating your linebackers. Uh, it, they did have a, a couple of larger plays, but never just the, uh, you know, oh, damn, that was too easy, 76 yards and a touchdown type play, uh, you know. No no major blown coverages except on the on the trick play, you know, and that, like, you made him earn it. Rambo lit you up some, but okay, like, he went for 95, not 195, you know, and nobody else really dominated all that much for Miami. Um, you know, if you told me that, that this defense was going to hold Miami to 5.1 yards play, and hold them to a pretty good leverage rate to where they're consistently in longer down and distance all day, man, all day. Nice job, Adam Fuller and and the defensive staff. Now, look, yes, the players deserve a hell of a lot of credit for that, for for buying in. And obviously the defensive line coaching with with Odell and John Papuchas, you can run that strategy where where you're playing a whole lot of, you know, two, two high safety coverages because your defensive line is beating a pretty decent Miami offensive line. Like Miami's offensive line doesn't suck, guys. They're you know one of the more experienced lines in the country. A couple of those guys will play pro ball for Miami. And FSU just said, "Hey, man's game." Man's game exactly where I was going with the next comment. This this reminded me of like 2010 Florida or something like that where you saw just a absurdly physical defense and and at the same time not out of control, not getting, you know, targeting reviews, not doing stupid late hits, you know. Not committing seven penalties on a drive. Not, that helps too, yeah. Not jumping off sides three plays out of five or anything else like that. Uh, just a, a team that came out, wanted to thump, and at the same time kind of, you know, played within themselves. Uh, I don't know if remarkable effort is the appropriate term, but uh, you know, very impressive against a good skill set, and, and when they did earn it, other than the the trick play and the angle route that turns into a touchdown. You know, I mean that that throw that uh, <clears throat> that Van uh, Van Dimes makes off his one yard line or whatever. I mean that's a, that's just an amazing throw to Rambo and and well put and uh, like you said, nothing was easy. Everything was earned and a really really solid effort out of the defense. I mean, he threw for three sixteen, but it was on forty seven attempts. He was thrown for like 380 on like 28 attempts in prior games. And, I, you know, I do think it was interesting. So I was pretty worried that he was picking up confidence going into this game because it looked like he was. I mean, the guy was playing really, really well. I wonder if having, you know, 15 quarters of film on him now gave Fuller and those guys something to say, okay, like we're starting to see some tendencies here. He, he struggles, you know, with, with this. He doesn't like to get moved off his spot. We, we won't blitz him that much, but we can blitz him, you know, here and here. And they they really like they did a couple bluff pressures. I didn't think they blitzed him a ton in this game, though. You know, I mean they they really let those guys up front eat and 
They try to get good reroutes in the secondary. I thought that was something I thought was better in this game. So when I'm talking about reroutes, I'm talking about like not giving guys just totally free releases. I thought they were they were pretty physical with Miami at the line of scrimmage at times, and that was helpful. And not something they've always done this year, by the way. To go out and to have your major weakness on defense, which is explosive pass plays, to face an offense where that's by far their biggest strength, and to come out on top is really, really nice, man. That's that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's certainly, you know, what Jermaine did will live in, in lore for a long time. And, and he uh, was impactful from first snap, you know, to the last. Um, literally, with the, with the play that he makes getting over there and, and making the tackle on, uh, on third down that's so impactful. The other point I wanted to bring home here was, God, they broke out a lot of stuff for this game that I think they thought would bother Miami. And when they weren't getting beat up physically, offensively, I'm switching to the other side here now, they, they really did a nice job scheming up this thing. Uh, I, I do think that, that Norvell and Kenny are a nice pair, you know, and they, I think they work off each other pretty well, especially, you know, having Atkins there in the run game as well. Like having Gibbons back and having Love Taylor healthier is a big, it's a big damn deal, man. Like they can't win without those guys right now. I thought they went and did a lot of interesting stuff here. You, you talked about a lot of that toss read stuff. Basically, I think that what they identified was that Miami in the back end was pretty quick. Or well, all except for the one linebacker. Pretty talented, but young, inexperienced, very much like trying to key off the first thing they see. And not like they just didn't look all that well coordinated in the back end. That's probably a youth issue. We've seen that some of that issue this year. Maybe a coaching issue too. But FSU went unbalanced on on them a whole lot too in this game. You know, if you know what, if you know what I mean, like three offensive linemen to one side of the center, only one to the other, and that creates different stuff you got to deal with defensively. Where's the strength of the defense? What's your call? How do you adjust your leverages? And that is how. They are trying to, you know, very subtly here, create explosive plays by creating angles and by by getting guys out gap by gap, right? And all of a sudden, nobody's there. And, you know, maybe, like Miami doesn't take on blocks real well anyway. So, but the interesting thing to me was, like, think about how, how razor thin the margin still was. I thought you called a really good game overall. And you scored 31 points. Probably should have had more. Miami physically is just better than you up front. And they're able to you know, get in the backfield a good bit and absolutely blow up some of these plays. I think your lack of a quality tight end in this game was exposed some too at times. Um, you really didn't create explosive runs. You know, they only, they only had one run over 15 yards. They created a whole lot of like successful runs. Jordan's legs were really, really good. Corbin was you know, fairly successful. Um, running the ball. What's that? The touchdown run? The only one that's north of fifteen? Uh, no, it was actually a uh, it was a scramble. Uh, Corbin had a run of of twelve okay. for a touchdown, um, and Corbin also had had runs of fourteen and uh, thirteen. But your your pass plays in this game were really pretty explosive. And Manny Diaz's comments in the post game and today uh, in his press conference, I thought were uh, kind of just tell, telling the truth and telling the story. 
He's like, look, we, we played a coverage that had to respect Travis's legs and he had not thrown the ball well coming into this game and he had not really thrown the ball very well in this game. And you got to give credit to the kid. He, he hit some throws down the stretch. And that's exactly right. Like, FSU came out, they ran the ball fairly successfully early. Miami started doing a lot of run blitzing, really starting to sell out, stop the run. They largely did so, I thought, throughout that third quarter. FSU, they were hitting some play action stuff, some pocket roll stuff. And then eventually, Jordan just had to drop back and make a throw or two. And if he doesn't, you lose the game. Damn, if he didn't, man. That's the kind of stuff that had this coaching staff excited about Jordan Travis in the preseason, you know, making some throws like that. I don't know if he's ever going to be a good passer, but his legs are such a threat to where if he can do this, you know, maybe they can win seven or eight games next year, you know, consistently. Like if he can do this consistently, shit, maybe they can win a little more. But 35, 30, 20, 26, 18, 59, 24. That, that, those are explosive plays, man. I mean, they had 212 yards on those seven passes. That's a big deal. I thought I thought they outschemed Miami, but also Jordan down the stretch just put the ball on the money a couple times. And would have had another big one if Parchman doesn't uh, quit on that route or uh, miscommunicate the route or whatever you want to go with here. The other thing I wanted to point out was they did a very nice job against Knighton. I thought FSU's game plan was basically like kind of daring Miami to run the ball and see if they could see if they would do it. And Darren to throw the ball underneath with precision. Knighton had 16 carries for 32 yards. 31% success rate. Like no explosive runs. They bottled him up. They they you know made him get off his track. Very physical job. I know it's respect to defense here, but if I told you, hey, Knighton's gonna get 32 yards on 16 carries and 31% success rate, I mean you're taking that all day. I think. Undoubtedly. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they, <clears throat> he never got going. Uh, he never got going. And in, in a lot of ways, the, the first down barometer that I keep referencing is, is tied to that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times handoff to night and one yard on first down. That was your first down play. Uh, handoff to night and negative one. It was, uh, it was just remarkable what those guys did. Um, and, uh, again, I just keep coming back to a level of physicality that was, exceptional and impressive and obviously it uh, was shown early but fairly consistent throughout the course of the evening as well so uh, hats off to hats off to both sides of the ball but still just blown away by what the defense gave you and and um, you know Jermaine Johnson that's one of the better performances that, that we've seen from an individual if I had T Boone Pickens money I would erect a statue outside the stadium that has a Miami offensive tackle just eternally spinning around uh, for 24 hours a day. I mean, that's, I've watched a lot of college football. I don't know that I've seen an offensive tackle, you know, get thrown into a spin cycle as he's trying to block somebody. Uh, just incredible, incredible day from him. And, uh, you know, number 11, I went on and on about in the instant reaction, but uh, just a, a level performance that will be used as a, you know, as a point of reference for, for you know, who knows, long, long time coming. 100%. Uh- Miami power rushing success rate, 0%. Oh, <laughs> four. We talked about this, though, in, in, in the preview. Remember, I was like, you got to get them into those, you know, got to get them to the third down. They do, a lot, like you made that point, but they do a lot of damage on first down. You know, yards play on first down, 5.9 for Miami. 
Okay. That's actually not that bad. FSU had seven. So in a battle of teams that live on explosive plays, FSU out explosive them. That's, that's pretty impressive. Their punter's really good, dude. I mean, it seems like everybody that we play right now has got a great punter and we got a decent effort out of our own uh, punter on Saturday evening. But yeah, he is really good. And uh, I, I made the comment, you know, in the instant, but uh, we're, all, we're all fortunate that that final kick made its way into the end zone. Otherwise, there's probably a much different tenor to this conversation tonight and certainly on Saturday. Uh, but yeah, no, he's big. He looks like a, a caricature and uh, is a just a, a hell of a hell of a punter that they were able to find out of Australia because, of course, they were. Did you think Miami should have let FSU score? Um, yes, I do. I mean, I know that's hard in the moment to let somebody score. Uh, that's it is, and when you're a defensive coordinator, that's not your background letting letting guys score. But man, I mean. Uh, uh, you know, the, I, I bemoaned about the TVA angles at, at Doak and how hard it is to do an instant reaction if it's a game at Doak and you're not there. But it sure looked to me like the ball was put down around six to eight inches outside the goal line uh, on parchments, you know, on the on the play that he stopped on. I, I'd love to know what the statistics are of stopping a team four times from six inches out. I, I just don't think you're going to do that. Now, maybe you get, maybe you, I think he said he wanted to try it once and see if you got some kind of, explosive TFL or if they put the ball on the ground or something like that. But um, at, at that point, I think you have to concede that the other team is probably going to score uh, and and ultimately did. So I mean, they, they get down there with a minute two. Miami has two timeouts. That's an explosive offense. It's the better, it's the better side of the ball for you. If Norvell did that shit, I, I'd be vision about it. Mm-hmm. You, you have to let FSU score there. Yeah, 100%. Like, thought that was a mistake. I also thought not going for it. Surprise, I think not going for it's a mistake. The numbers actually back me up on this. Uh, Diaz. Which one are you referencing? I'm sorry. On the fourth and one. Okay. That he decided to punt the ball. Yeah. If you go for it, get it or not, 89%. If you punt it, 82%. So still, you know, pretty good, pretty good odds there either way. That's a fairly big split, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, he kind of blinked. We'll take it. You know, if there's more on the game, we can certainly talk about it, and we're not necessarily moving away from it, but certainly, you know, as big a storyline from Saturday night is uh, is that of recruiting. So before we get into recruiting, but I don't ever think that, like, our last deal with Chad and Shannon is our, is our final deal, you know what I mean? But each time we get one of these things, I'm like, wow, that's remarkable. Another guy or woman called and got a home loan and, uh, again, I don't think that's going to be the final one, but I just, I, I don't, I'm not doing a good job of verbalizing this. I'm shocked by how many people continue to use uh, these guys. Certainly not shocked as a reflection of the quality of people they get to work with, uh, but the success of our partnership with with Chad and Shannon is, to my knowledge, unparalleled uh, in a team-specific podcast. And we have, I think, three emails just from today of uh, new deals that were done. So obviously you have a, a firsthand uh, knowledge of of the benefits and expertise that you get with working with those guys, but uh, Chad, fantastic uh, guy in general, and as big of a damn Florida State fan as I know. And trust me, I've done nothing but surround myself with him the entirety of my life. And uh, Shannon is uh, Shannon's a Shannon's a, a workhorse. I mean, he will get back with you. He'll give you every opportunity and option that is presented out there. And uh, you couldn't ask to work with a better team. 
Uh, being on the group ch- group chat with Chad is like, doo, 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 doo. like, like if you look at the win probability, I, I want to see I want to see the Chad win probability, right? It's like first down stop zero, first down first down, hundred percent. Like like it it it. Oh, yeah, I love it. Um, I love it. Yeah, we we got him on that. We got him on the fourth down math train though. Yeah, he's he's starting. He's like, hey, I think we need we need to play this as four down territory. <laughs> That's right. Get with it. All right, eight four four FSU loan is the number to call. Find out why so many, I think two hundred and I don't think we're two fifty yet. Like we got to go back and count this. Uh, find out why more than two hundred Nolcast listeners have gone with these guys for their home loan or refinance. It's just the best experience I've had doing it. And but getting a home loan is not fun. Getting the homes fun. Get the get the not fun part out of the way. Give them a call eight four four FSU loan. Have a great experience with it. All right, man. Uh- couldn't have asked more from a recruiting perspective. I mean, incredible oh, weather. Um, you you pushed your chips into the table yet again in a similar manner that you did with Notre Dame. And, hey, look, you know, you're naturally going to, or at least most staffs would naturally try to get kids in on big games. and stuff. So it's not a, a, a wild departure in thought process as to what they did. But, you know, they certainly bet heavily on two weekends, and they bet, you know, they put the best foot forward possible on, on both fronts. And, uh as I said in the instant, I wouldn't, you know, don't don't go thinking that Florida State's going to sign like nine of the eleven kids that came in last weekend. Um, oh, they're going to sign ten, <laughs> exactly. No. Uh, but you, you couldn't have asked for anything more from a recruiting perspective. I, I really think you you shored up your existing commitments. Uh, you will get two or three kids that you might not have otherwise uh, gotten over the weekend. And you know, I was I was kind of scattershot throughout the course of the instant reaction. But the one kid that I pointed out is, is Earl Little Jr. So why don't we start there? It certainly seems like the series of events that are necessary for you to sign that kid are playing out. And I, I don't claim myself to be an insider on this uh, recruitment or anything else. But just from a novice standpoint, if this kid has a full go green light BAM offer and he hasn't committed to him yet, um, why, why is that the case? I mean, what what's the the process at this point. I, I think you've done a great job recruiting him. And uh, I don't, I don't say this with a hundred percent with my chest, but it, it certainly looks like you have given yourself a better than 50, 50 chance of signing this kid at this point in the process. I I mean, so here's the thing. I obviously the Bama people feel like he's a take. I think your question's valid. You know, why, why hasn't he done it yet? Now, you may tell me, hey, he's got a, a commitment date set up and he wants to stick to his guns and do that and he wants to take all his visits. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here. It may just be as simple as that, man. Like, he's an impressive kid if you talk to him. Like, like Earl's not somebody who I think is going to make an emotional decision. But Bama does continue to fill up on really, really elite defensive backs. They just got some crystal balls for Damani Jackson, the five-star out of California. Where's the path to early playing time better? It's probably Tallahassee, I would think. If you're if you're a five, you know four star, five star, you know, national top one hundred type kid, that's just because the quality of the roster you're walking into. You know who's the backup here? It's seven, mm-hmm. right? Right. He played like seven snaps, and one of them was a touchdown. When they saw him in the game, they went right at him. You know. At Bama, the, the backup is probably another five star. Yeah, it most, most certainly is. Yeah. They were they recruit so well because they get kids that don't care about that oftentimes. Um, but 
I think your point's valid, man. Uh, FSU is is controlling its controllables here. Okay, it hired Randy Shannon for a variety of reasons, but if they get Earl Little Jr., that'll be the best forty two thousand dollars they spent all year. Right? They're just trying to be. I think for right now, they're trying to make sure they can be the best non-Bama option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If hey, if he says, if, if he puts on the Bama cap, you just tip yeah. yours. All right. We talked about this all year. You are not going to beat them for kids they really, really want for the most part. Same thing that happened with, with the offensive tackle, right? We're talking about Elijah Pritchett. Elijah Pritchett, you know, kid that, that you know, Woodson and, and Atkins and those guys did a hell of a job working. Ultimately, Mama calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, but I think they've done a really, really good job there. And if you get her a little junior, I think the chances you get Marvin Jones Jr. are go way mm-hmm. up. Those two are tight. Like that is a potential like rooming together type situation. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're really good friends. They they hang together all time, you know, just and FSU knows this. They they want them both, you know, pretty badly. I'm sure you know, all, all the schools do. I don't think you could have done a better a better job recruiting these kids, though. You know what I mean? You get Jermaine Johnson balling out there. Now, Bama people will tell you, hey, he just saw Will Anderson who leads the nation in sacks the weekend before. You know, crushing LSU. That's true, too. Um, but I think if you give them enough reason, like I, I think they're really in the fight here. For, I'm, I'm not, not BSing you guys. You guys know I'm pretty quick to tell you now. That, that kid's a pipe dream. That kid's a pipe dream for where you are in the program's life cycle right now. I think they're legitimately in it for these two. I do. Could you have drawn up a better overall situation from Saturday or the weekend in general? Weather's incredible. Friday night's a hell of a lot of fun by all accounts. Uh, you get a, you, you come out of the gates, uh, you know, absurdly hot. The crowd, crowd's uh, super engaged, crowd super, super engaged, uh, dokes, you know, everything that it can be with as many people as you have in the stadium. Crowds there from play one to the end. You end up winning a game in a in a last second fashion. Uh, it it would just hard. It would have been hard to give Mike Norvell pen and paper and have him script a series of events uh, that would have let you put a you know a, a better display on to kids that you're trying to seek services of. I completely agree. I mean that was just super impressive start to finish. Then you're able to get the right kids down in the locker room. If you saw them on their Instagram stories, you know, Marvin Jones Juniors and Hunters and everybody's like they're they're in the locker room and Norvell's addressing the team and um, you know, Jermaine's breaking the rock and it's hard to do any better than that, man. Awesome weather on Tallahassee weekend. You had two of those weekends this year. You got a you got a boatload of top talents to come in, and you had pretty impressive performances in both, right? You lost Notre Dame, but that was a very appreciative crowd. They gave the team a standing O for losing. But I think they appreciated the effort coming off the disaster that was 2020. I think they were very happy to be back in the stands, by the way, you know, in, in full force, non-COVID. And this one, I mean, you, you get a, not a walk-off win, but damn close. It's just hard to beat that. You get a runoff win is what you get, but uh. This is true. Well done. <laughs> did you, hey, in the moment, did you know the rule? Uh, I did not. I thought they were going to look at it because that was the most casual spike I've ever seen. I mean, I, I just dude took three steps, looked like he looked at the scoreboard to try to. I, I couldn't understand what he was doing. Uh, but as soon as they started, at the moment, I didn't know the rule. 
as soon as I saw Mike put up three three fingers and was yelling at the ref, I knew exactly, let me put it that way, I knew exactly what three meant. Uh, I did. So I almost thought that the kid was like trying to, like in real time, knew the rule and then realized he was already like kind of in the spiking motion. It was like, ooh, shoot, what yeah. am I doing here? You know what I mean? It's a, you know what would have been a great play there? The <clears throat> fake spike. Mm-hmm. Like that would have been an amazing play if you could if you could pull up a fake spike. <laughs> Dude, there. if you lost to Miami on a friggin' fake spike with two seconds left, um, whew, that would have been. We'd a, be having a different conversation. Would been, it would have been a it would have been an audio only instant reaction. I'll put it that way. I would have had to revert it back to Jacksonville State. Y'all aren't watching me internally process one of the more heart wrenching losses that I've seen. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So Wesley Besaint, uh, interesting. Story here, bud. Uh, obviously, Florida State's desperate need of linebackers. This is a kid who has visited uh, numerous times. I think we actually saw him uh, in the hotel when we were in town for the Maryland game. So he's been up frequently, came back. I saw where you put a, a crystal ball with maybe a confidence of four in. Um, I'll certainly get, let you explain your own crystal ball here. But it, it certainly seems as though I don't see a kid like that going to West Virginia at this point. Uh, it would be tough for me to see him go to to Miami with some of the uncertainty that exists there, and you know certainly the events of today uh, only added to that uncertainty. And if you don't, Ingram's talking about they fired their AD. They, they did so. fire their AD. Um, did I don't want to say you won on default because you rec- recruited this kid? You've recruited your tail off yeah. trying to get this kid. This is the upside down you kid from the summer. Yeah, remember? that like Miami fans, and then he had to put out like that ridiculous. Seem like forced apology, or you know, whatever. And like Miami fans, like, oh, FSU's coaches were making him do the upside down U and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think FSU's done a good job staying on Wesley, right? Like, four star linebacker from Miami. You hire Sabbath Joseph, who used to be his coach. He obviously knows Randy Shannon. He seems to get along with Chris Marv, which. That's a good thing, but like I don't think Marv is an elite level recruiter. I've made this pretty clear on previous podcasts. So I do like when a kid in the interviews and when the feedback I get says, ah, he and Marv vibe pretty well. That resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Cause I haven't always been told that with other kids. Right? A little bit of suspicious until Marv actually closes one of these linebackers and gets the kid. But I thought your main competition was as far as in-state, was probably Miami. We know he likes Christian Robinson at Florida, but Florida's got a couple problems going on right now. And I know their staff right now is super bummed that FSU and, and Florida is a noon game. Like right. That's killing their recruiting staff right now because right. noon games kind of suck for those purposes of hosting recruits, typically. Shout out to Madso. They actually made a koozie based off that exact sentiment. Exactly. You know, Penn State, who knows where James Franklin is next year? My guess is he still gets hired away. Sometimes a fresh start is good for everybody. West Virginia is a school he actually really, really likes a whole lot. Does he like him enough? I, 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 suspect that, I, I suspect that his family would probably like him to stay in state. That's just the intel I get. So, you know, man, look at reading the tea leaves here. You have early playing time. You had a great Two visits. You seem to get along with the potential position coach. You've already talked about how you see yourself playing in this defense. Uh, you have 
kind of pretty serious uncertainty at most of your other suitors. And you have a reasonably defined path for early playing time. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. This is a major position of need. They have recruited the linebacker position terribly, I would say. Like, probably worse than any other position so far, right? I mean, they have one kid, basically, who they've signed so far. And Graham's having a nice year down there in South Florida. So that that is encouraging uh, as far as their other linebacker commit. But the pieces seem to be falling in place for that one. They really do. By the way, I meant to put in a a five and I fat-fingered it. So it came out of four and I haven't changed it. But... Uh, FSU yeah. feels good. Yeah, good. I'll say that. Good. They, they Here's an interesting one. Camden Brown, <clears throat> a big physical wide receiver out of St. Thomas, a kid who, uh, when I look at his highlights, I really like. I think he brings you a style of wide receiver that you don't otherwise have on your roster right now. This is interesting, bud. I, I don't know that Florida State's in a place to take this kid right now. I mean, I, I think you've got some some other prospects on the board that you're really trying to figure out. Um, had some a little bit some lukewarm comments over the weekend. Really, the only kid who didn't come out flat out and say like this is an amazing time, etc. Now maybe that's just just that kid's disposition, and I, I'm looking into him too much. But no, I I don't know that he had the best. Yeah, visit. interesting. Okay, but I do think they like him. I don't think they're going to take any high school receiver until they figure out what's going on with Kevin Coleman, who was at Oregon this weekend. Like it's very clear to me, it's Kevin Coleman. If not Coleman, reassess. I do know that Norvell visited St. Thomas, and when he went to St. Thomas, Brown balled out. So your head man who played receiver has a very keen interest in recruiting receivers. It probably drives Mike Norvell nuts that your receiver room sucks as bad as it does. You know what I mean? He sees that kid ball out in person. They're trying to develop plans in case Kevin Coleman doesn't happen. I think. He's uh for those of you that haven't seen him before, big what six three, uh you know already approaching two hundred pounds if not north of it. Again, I really like the kids' tape. Uh, I would if I were uh you know obviously I'm not making evaluations or uh, or anything else, but this would be a kid that I would green light. And you know maybe it's a positive sign that Florida State's got that type of talent uh, and pursuing him. And there's some kind of ambiguity as to whether or not. You know they're able to offer him a, a, a you know a full go offer at this point. I, I think that's fair. Um, next kid, I want to talk. Well, let's get two kids out of the way. Uh, Goodwin and Wilson. I don't think they have any real shot at. Personally, like I'm not going to blow smoke here. Some kids you were planning on coming, and then some kids, you know, like they realize there's a hot game that weekend in the southeast, and that's where they want to go check out. And you're not going to tell them no. But especially if they're high-profile kids, because it's good PR to have five stars come visit you. Definitely. Whether you're going to get them or not, yep. right? Like, it's always nice. Unless they're just total jerks, and some of them are, right? Uh, they're going to, like, tweet out cool Instagram photos of you. They're going to put you on their story. If you do a good job, which you're going to do, hopefully, uh, like, you're going to look good to other recruits and other people who follow them. So there's no real downside you know, to, to hosting those guys, unless they just act like, like total jerks. With that said, I would put the chances of signing them at basically 0% for each. It's not, that's not going to happen in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, although I will say, I think Atkins vibe pretty well with, 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 with the five star offensive tackle, but, uh, this late in the game, that's not going to happen. If it does, I don't know. I'll, I'll donate something to charity. I'm, I'd, I'd be shocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, good good that you bring kids like that in. We've talked about this for years. 
<clears throat> you bring them in uh, both for the immediate uh, kind of PR that you're talking about. And also, you know, maybe they've got a sophomore teammate in their high school team. They go back and say, hey, look, you know, for me, Florida State's not the option, but that was a hell of a good time. They, they took care of me. Uh, I had a great time. Maybe you should go look at them over the summer or something like that. So you are at times kind of practicing recruiting uh, as much as coaches hate to do that. And with those two, I would agree that's that's probably what you're doing at this point. Practicing recruiting. You know who said that, right? Uh, I believe it's a current member of the staff. No, it was Charles Kelly. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Who is, I believe, number one in the 24-7 sports uh, coach recruiting rankings right now. Yeah. Well, so. when you're at Bama and get to recruit, you know, Eastern Alabama and Georgia, you're, you're going to get some kids and he's done a good job of it. So uh, good for him. For sure. Uh, all right. So last kid I want to talk about here. I think last kid, unless you get somebody else to talk about. Uh, bless Harris. Ingram. Taking a transfer early. Getting a guy in for spring. Plays at Lamar. Uh, former teammate in high school of who? Byron Turner. Mm, okay. At St. Aug. That's right. Where, That's right. Where who coached? Yeah. Yeah. So I was told this is a kid who was on FSU's radar. He plays at Lamar. Uh, pretty athletic, offensive tackle, offensive guard type prospect. Was verbally committed to UCF. FSU wanted to kind of just get a sense of how big he was. Six four and a half, three fifteen, with a six foot nine wingspan. Check, check, check. Yeah. That's love a big that. check there on the last one there. Uh, athletic guy. Plays a little high, but is pretty damn athletic. Has a little bit of a mean streak. Got to play lower. The other thing is, like, they need to get some depth in here for spring to run practices. I don't know if we have talked about this yet, but think about who they're going to lose off this offensive line, right? So Gibbons has another year, and I think he'll be back. But they lose Babyon, They lose Jalen Goss. They lose Love Taylor. I don't think Ira Henry will be on the roster anymore. For pure depth purposes and like running a practice purpose, you need bodies. If they see a kid who they know is going to get, you know, in here for spring, you have to t- and, and like who they actually think can start. I think you have to take. I think he will uh, have a pretty good shot to start for you at either guard or tackle, and that means either you kick you kick Scott to guard or Washington to guard, or you plug him in there at tackle. You know. Some uh, decent early positive feedback on the Caden Lyles kid from Wisconsin. Did you heard any more at this point? Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I kind of asked around. I was like, is this a kid you guys would take right now? And basically, I was told, yeah, because he's a spring guy, we think we probably would take him, but we would not stop. Like We would like to take one more as well. Uh, I, I mentioned the Instant Reaction podcast. <clears throat> Bud and I will have kind of a portal show, or maybe not a show, but a segment at least, um, where we'll talk a little bit about numbers, philosophy behind the numbers, uh, and give you, you know, obviously the, the portal has, has changed the game when it comes to recruiting, and this is a staff that will still allocate a decent amount of the numbers that they have to the portal, and uh, we'll try to do that in the next couple of weeks here or so, but that's an interesting tidbit that both he would get green-lighted and that they would probably be looking for another one. Did you see some of the guys they honored on senior day? Who are not seniors on the roster. I, uh, it's always a it's always an interesting perspective as to what the future looks like. Yeah, several. Yeah, yeah. We'll 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 talk about that in the portal show. But I think that was instructive uh, to me at least. <laughs> 
Very much so. Uh, one thing that uh, we would always instruct our listeners to do, give the good people at Congruity a look. Uh, Matt Lewis, fantastic uh, partner for us and another guy that uh, you know we love chatting it up with during game day on the, on the group chat. Uh, just a diehard Seminole and um, uh, somebody that, that we think would be only but beneficial for your business. So spend five, ten minutes with Matt, see if there's a partnership there, whether it be payroll, um, HR, any of the things that they can offer uh, your business. Again, congruityhr.com, or as always, you're welcome to reach out to me via Twitter or the Nolcast email account if you would uh, prefer a, uh, a less formal introduction, as many of our listeners have done. Dude, absolutely. Let's go ahead and give Matt a call. Just awesome product. Got a lot of listeners interested now. And uh, that's a service. If you run a small business or medium-sized business or even a huge business, you probably need. Where do you want to go now? Good question, man. I mean, uh, I don't know that there's... To, to, to sleep? Do you feel like I do? It's probably, oh, yeah. probably to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Man, I tried to get some sleep last night, dude. I, you know, I, I told Max, I was like, I'm going to take you know, take this NyQuil and pop a couple of these melatonin. And, and uh, 24-7 Sports is a central time company. So I hold myself to a high standard. I get up and I work you know, a lot of stuff, like personal projects and stuff in the morning. But I don't have any meetings until like 10 Eastern. So I was like, I'm going to sleep till like nine o'clock today. Nope. I had Blippy on at <laughs> 701 doing the bulldozer dance and the, the police helicopter song. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shoot. This is... Which I'm sure is always a positive experience, but all the more enjoyable when you have... Uh, if Blippy wants to sponsor the podcast, yeah, we really When you got some of those things yeah, in your makes... system. But yeah, yeah, we're open. We're open. We'll, we'd love to meet and talk, explore partnership. Um, all right. Two games left here. Um, I don't, you know, obviously... Be interesting to see the quarterback at BC has come back and and looks to be the player that that we kind of rem- remembered him as. Uh, we'll have a, a full BBC preview next uh, next week. But um, man, really, I think if you could get either of these games, season at this point would be a uh, I don't want to say a resounding success. You certainly stumbled and embarrassed yourself at times, but. Uh, if you're able to crawl your way and get five, obviously, if you're somehow bowl eligible, you've Perform some miracles that uh, that none of us were able to to foresee. But uh, interesting period here. We do know that both of those games will be noon games. That's fine by me, uh, especially the BC game. I didn't want any part of a night game in Boston in November. Uh, I'm I'm totally fine with that. Um, so it it'll be fascinating to see what happens. I mean, Florida, not that Florida State's one to you know make fun of people with their struggles with inferior uh, <laughs> inferior. Opponents this year, but the you know the Samford game is is one that was uh, kind of wild to watch perform or uh, roll itself out on Saturday. And you know you really think if you could somehow get this BC game, I would say you know maybe you have a better than fifty fifty chance of going down there and getting a win in Gainesville and and being legitimately bowl eligible. All right, so a quick preview. I'll give you a one positive and one negative. So Georgia Tech ran the ball very well against Boston College. Did a nice job running running that ball this weekend. Uh, passing the ball, not so much. Sixteen of twenty six for one hundred twenty. So Georgia Tech's backs. Georgia Tech is a bad football program right now, but Georgia Tech's backs are legitimately really good. Oh, uh, the Gibbs kid is is yeah. Mason's like, a pretty decent back. They're they're is he a portal kid? Yeah, that'll be fascinating to see. Oh, by the way, let's let's not let our friends in Miami just skate on this. Um, last year's class is really good. 
be fascinating to see what happens in the era of the portal with what happens with that class. I mean, that is a wait. You mean a class that was largely recruited that couldn't take visits anywhere? That couldn't take visits. That you were the most positively impacted school by COVID. Uh, you really by needed far. a decent year to kind of cement a lot of those kids, in my opinion. And uh, you could look at a portal exodus from Miami, the likes of which uh, you know, the likes of which that I'm not immediately familiar with. Yeah, uh, that'll be fascinating. Fascinating to watch. All right, you ready for the negative part? Please. All right, uh, so I said that against against Vatek, Djokovic, the uh, the quarterback for BC, didn't look very good. Uh, he didn't. I, you know, his first game back, a little bit ahead of the injury timetable, and Vatek also lost their quarterback on the opening drive, so what, you know, like they didn't really try to do a whole lot. Yeah, against Georgia Tech, he looks all the way back, unfortunately. And this is an, like a legitimate, legitimate NFL QB Probably the second best QB, maybe the best, with my opinion, Leary, the NC State kid. 12 of 19, 63% success rate, so pretty nice there, uh, for 304. So 19 throws for 304. Yeah. Now look, Georgia Tech's defense is not great. FSU's is definitely better. Georgia Tech does allow a lot of explosive plays. Um, but that's discouraging. Like I, I was kind of hoping to see him be a little more along the lines of like, hey, I'm glad he's back. You know, could have maybe taken the rest of the year off type thing. They're going to have to earn this one. Like, you're going to have to turn around and play a hell of a defensive game because with him in there, Boston College can, can score. They can block you. They have some good weapons on the outside like Zay Flowers. Um, they're not as undisciplined on defense as, as Miami is. But they are favored in the game. I will say I bet FSU. I got, I got three and a half, and I got a little bit of three. Uh, now the line's down to two. This is going to be tough. Like, they have to get off the mat and really, like, focus immediately if they don't want to go up there and lose. Yeah. You know? Be a good test. For a good, good test for a team that tries to mature and see how they handle a little bit of success. So, uh, <clears throat> as we said at the beginning, well, this is not a shorty. It looks like we've been doing it for 52 minutes, so um, not uh, not necessarily an abbreviated null cast. But uh, as always, these are nothing but a whole lot of fun to do. If uh, We've had some nice growth on our YouTube channel. If you feel like subscribing to that, that'd be greatly appreciated. Again, would echo the sentiment that any support that could be given to Tarpon Sellers would mean a lot uh, to Bud and I. And uh, we'll be back with a BC preview here in the next 48 hours or so. So... Florida State 31, Miami 28, can't say it enough. Great game, great experience, and uh, certainly did a lot for a positive trajectory of the program. And uh, with that, we'll leave you, and we'll be back in the next two days. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.